Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. Um, yeah, the podcast where we literally try and be your aunt and uncle, sat around the kitchen table having a cup of tea with you and just shooting the breeze with you on any problem that you might have. We are not in any way giving any medical uh, or any professional advice. It's just we try and share our experience is in a way that might help you navigate in a more efficient way, whatever you're going through. Efficient. Sharing and caring. <laughs> I think we share on our own experiences and we try and demonstrate care in sharing, if you know what I mean. Um, for those of you who are listening and not watching and don't know the channel or our output or content, that sound is one of our dogs. They did go on a little bit of a walk around. You might hear growling. Uh, this is being recorded in a real living home. So apologies for any of those sounds. Like yeah, and if you'd like to see us rather than just listen to us, just go to uh, YouTube and then pump in the Sawala Adelies and you can see our lovely little faces. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so again, as always, thank you for, your, for sharing your deeply personal um, goings-on, let's call it. Um, we, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because whenever we do one of these podcasts... We will say, don't we, that it really is so. It, the conversation will often go on after we mm. after we finish recording. It makes us think about so many things in our lives. Mm. It, it, I think it it makes us better parents somehow because I think just hearing our own experiences back at ourselves yeah. sometimes is really helpful. So it is a two way street. I think um, the, the, I always remember back in the seventies and eighties. What was the name of the woman I was on radio on? There was an agony on, on, on. And I always found that the advice was so sort of... The one with of, the really short hair. Yeah. I Anna, loved Anna that. Rayburn. No. No. Was it? I think I so. I loved her. But, she was so no-nonsense. Well, well, precisely, but it always felt quite instructive and I felt there's no, no flexibility in the advice that was being given. But, but because that's with a professional, so that's the difference that you get, mm, isn't it? I, I mean, so. and often with, with some of your... Problems that come in, we will say no. That that's that's yes, beyond, beyond our our capabilities. Um, okay. Please, if you if you do like this podcast, please like it and share it. It's mm. it's it's really lovely for us because we do put a lot of thought and heart into it, and it's lovely to get it out to a wider audience. And um, also, if you're wanting to, uh, you know, ask a question or share a problem or you know just share what something you're going through yeah. to see whether we can connect with it and have thoughts or opinions on it. There is a link on this YouTube uh, film uh, in the description box beneath this. Uh, there's a link there. You can go to that and you can you can share a problem, um, and we can potentially reply to it. Or do, or talk do we about not it. put it under the podcast? Though? I don't know if you can put ah. linkable links, oh, clickable okay. links. Right, I'll go first, um, and I'm I'm really really happy about this. This is from a silent sub. And the reason I'm really happy about getting this letter is it is a question that I have myself, mm. having had conversations with my with our daughters. So let me not digress any further. Um, firstly, thank you, Mark and Nadja, for all your content. I'm usually a silent sub, so this feels a bit odd, inverted commas, talking to you. Well, we love our silent subs as much as we love our vocal subs, so thank you for getting in touch. I'm in my late 40s and sadly went through a divorce a couple of years ago, brackets, not my choice. I haven't dated since then, but now I feel I'm ready to take a leap. My question is this, how do you guys think men 
actually feel about a woman making the first move. There is a chap at work that I really like and when I mentioned to a group of friends of mine recently that I might ask him out, they were all quite shocked and of the opinion that men might say they like bold women but in actual fact more of them see it as a red flag that I might come across as desperate. I was really shocked by this but the most shocking thing of all was that when I told my daughter, who's 24, what they'd said, she agreed. And she said that she wouldn't dream of asking a man out, married or to marry her or to live with her. And this is 2023. Thoughts, please. I, I just love this because, first of all, somebody that I work with who is like a full power woman, she really is, and you know, very, very self-assured and you know, her, her children are and you know, very modern. And um, she was saying the same thing to me recently. She was saying that her daughter and her friends who are in their late twenties think not one of them would ask, and you know, they're Gen Z. Would ask what? Would ask a man first. They're all waiting to, to see if out. their boyfriend wants to move in mm. with them or get married. And we were just talking mm. about how shocking we find that. And then both of our girls, I don't know if you've had this conversation with them, sometimes when they've liked somebody, and I've said, oh, well, just tell them. And they go, oh, my God, no, you absolutely couldn't. You absolutely couldn't. It would just be seen as desperate. Mm. So... Obviously, we're of a different generation to our girls, and a but it gender. sounds like it's very similar to how things were when um, we were growing up. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Um, think about the times when people have made a first move on you. Now, the idea of it, first of all, in a man's mind, oh God, this woman's going to prowl over to me and say, can I sit on your face? Um, we're not thinking about that. Right, I wasn't quite going there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I haven't gone we're quite not that talking far. about because lots of men will say, "Oh, yeah, I love it when a woman makes the first move," but that's usually within a relationship. Outside of relationship, nothing's happened yet. Just on this, if a woman were to approach you at work and say, "Would you like to go out? Would you like to go out for a drink one day?" What would you think? I think what a blessed relief. I don't have to go through that. If I'm honest, I mean, that, you know, that is very hard. If, I'm not, really if, if I was single and if I liked them and someone was... I, I suppose, what am I trying to say? I wouldn't make a judgment that they're a floozy or that they're too forward or that they're desperate or anything like that. No, not at all. As an adult now, I, I would see it as, oh, great. You know, I don't have to... <laughs> I would probably see it now as a kind of... I don't have to leap through those hurdles of... You know, because men go through self-doubt and fear and worry and they don't know what the best way to be attractive is and how masculine. And, and especially in this age now where, you know, what being masculine is, is as complicated and as, as, as contradictory in so many different ways uh, as what being a woman is. I mean, you know, men get very, very different signals about being manly and proactive, but not too much. And then if you're too vulnerable, you get women get the ick. You know, you're trying to navigate, well, and then it's different for different people and all this kind of stuff. So if a woman, and I was single, and I was my age now, and a woman said to me, do you know what, like, let's go on a date, and I liked her, I was interested, um, I would think, Shangri-La, what a brilliant result. I don't have to go through any of the kind of mental gymnastics or emotional acrobatics to get to this place. She's 
and I would think, great, this is, I'd feel confident that she was interested. I would actually blossom towards it. So my advice would be, if you're feeling it about someone, I think the, 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 the devil is in the detail of whether they're as interested in you. I think that's where it gets okay, tricky. Okay, so if you're somebody you weren't, you kind of had noticed them, but you didn't, hadn't sort of thought consciously that you fancied them, to be approached, what would you actually feel? If I, did, if I wasn't interested romantically? Yeah. Well, you hadn't really noticed them, and then all suddenly they were asking you, what would your questions be? Well, I think when I was younger, if I was much younger and single, and someone I hadn't particularly say notice said that, the classic opportunistic young male would have gone, quick MRI scan, let's work out, ooh, she's interested, could I be interested in her? That mm. would be the first thing, could I be interested in mm. her? So what makes this podcast, this problem page, this agony aunt and uncle so different, and as you alluded to earlier, that... Um, we can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Raina. But anyway, I can't remember her name. Claire Raina. No, 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 it wasn't Claire Raina. I know which one you mean. Very short dark yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that way of answering a problem, right, our way is very different because I'm about to throw Mark deep in the shit now. Right. And our regular listeners to Coffee Moaning, mm -hmm. which is our weekly, our daily news show, will remember that just a few weeks ago, you said those exact words to me, Floozy. Because I'd made the first move with you, you just assumed I'd done that with all directors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said but, it on Coffee Moaning. But you was, said it. Yeah, and, I, said, and I, I just admitted that I would make the same sort of assumption now. I would think, oh, yeah. Just you didn't? You haven't no, just said that? No, no, no. What I just said was if I was younger and single and a woman did that, I'd do a quick MRI scan and go, oh, yeah, could I be interested? I didn't talk about what I would necessarily think they were like as a person when I was younger. I wouldn't think anything of them as, a, as an older person. Well, you said you wouldn't think they were desperate and you wouldn't no, think... No, as a, now, at this age, at this oh. age now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that now. If, when I was younger, I'd have thought, yeah, they're game, they're up for it. And therefore they could be up for it with everyone? Potentially. Yeah. Now that is the nub of it, isn't it? That's where, mm. <clears throat> you know, our, our daughters, this lady's daughters, her friends, that's the fear that women hold. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of being responsible because this, this person's presenting a problem. I don't want to sit here going, well, you know, every man's no, going to be but, like but this. I think, but I think that to have the proper discussion about mm. where all this comes from, then you can settle in a place of confidence and mm. assur assuredness. Because what I would say, what I would say is, there is a risk, but there's a risk for any gender to ask somebody else because there is a, a level of vulnerability. So there is a risk that the person could think, well, because we don't know, could think, well, that's a bit desperate, or could think, wow, this is wonderful, what a mm. great opportunity, I don't have to put my neck on the line. So you don't have control over what other people think and the way that other people are going to respond to you. All you can do is have your side of the street clean and tidy. And by that, I mean, you make a empowered decision. If you are attracted to somebody, this is what I would say to you if you were my daughter and you were my friend and you were sitting, I say, yeah, you can't know. He could think any of those things that all your friends are concerned that he might think mm. because they love you. But what you're gonna do, stay behind closed doors and not, and not 
and, and just be a good girl and just behave in the way mm. that society would prefer you to so there are no risks. I would say no. Sounds like you've taken a couple of years after your divorce, you've licked your wounds and now you're ready and you're blossoming and you want to take a, make a move. So, when I say how is your side of the street, what I mean by that is you know who you are. You know what you are. You know you're not desperate. You know that you're not... Tick off all those things that somebody could possibly think. And so you move forward. And when you, and, what, and the way to think about it is, this is a, a potentially a great opportunity for two people. I like him. He seems like a nice guy. I know he's single. And I know that I'm a good person. And I, and I, you know, I want to see where this goes. If he rejects you, because he might, there's no guarantees, and that could be just because he's not attracted to you, which is mm. fine. That could be because he's, like, not mature enough or not, you know, grown up enough to see you as an individual person and not just a sort of, oh, what is this female thing doing asking me? Mm. <laughs> you know, Whatever that reason would be that he would say no, you have to be confident. You just have to find the confidence to move on and say he wasn't right for me. Mm. Simple as that. Because there's no other guarantees beyond that. If somebody doesn't want to know you or doesn't want to take that offer up, then they're not right for you. And you move on really nicely. You keep everything nice and light at work. You never know, further down the line, you might get to know each other, you might not. But unless you can do it with all of that in place, I would say that it, I would say that you could leave yourself vulnerable. Mm. You have to know that you can walk away from it saying, okay, mm. you know, it's not meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's a really big feeling and you've got no idea and you're working with him and you put yourself on the line and you're not quite ready to take a rejection and you'll drive yourself crazy with will you think I'm this will you think I'm that what will he think what will he think what will he think I would say hold off for a while longer but that's about people isn't it is the dilemma here about whether as a woman loads and loads of judgments are going to be made by the potentially the person or the man that she approaches is it about how people are going to read I, her children yes, family I, I think oh i don't know about that i mean i think again with that family and friends have to get on with that because this is about you but what i'm talking about is we cannot affect the other way people respond mm. to us we can only stand in our own self mm. with two feet on the ground knowing where we're coming from where are you coming from at it mm. you know if if this is new to you this thought what your friends have said like well he might think you're desperate you're not desperate mm. so if he thinks that that's that's yeah, that's because, on him not on you yeah because if going back to I'm, I'm sort of trying to connect the me sort of thinking you were a floozy when we when we when we first met because i might have thought that but it didn't mm. stop me being attracted to you and wanting to engage exactly. in a relationship it's, with you quite the opposite i wouldn't sort of go oh floozy turn yeah, away exactly so we cannot know you know so all the possibilities mm. are there right all you can know is where you're coming from yeah, yeah, yeah. and how you feel about yourself mm, mm. and if you still very feel if the thought of that you could pick up something in somebody's eyes that they might think that of you and that could really hurt you and destabilise you, don't do it. I mean, I do think one of the things that I, I find odd, and this is kind of a bit of a sidebar, I think, I, I'm thinking of it coming off the back of this, 
is I, I am always surprised by how conventional so many different things are. Mm. For example, if you watch something like First Dates, the expectation that the man should pay the bill, mm. or even if it's not the expectation, the idea that we all have a little kind of raised eyebrow and intake of breath if they don't, or if they want to go halves. And I think, again, for me, one of the really confusing things about the whole, not, I hate the word battle of the sexes, the whole trying to bring together of the many different sexes that there are, um, I think is this idea that we still hold on to really old-fashioned ideas and, and really like you, me, you know, sometimes like I can, you know, really sort of, what's the word, sort of feminist, strong, dynamic women will do that really annoying thing as a man which is suddenly pull the card and go, well, actually, I quite like it when, you, when a man does that for me. And men, you, it's all very easy for women to say that. Suddenly the trap door's open for a bloke and they're like, oh, hang on a minute. I thought I was, being, I, thought I was observing all the respect. Just for, think for all genders, it's, it's just very fucking difficult. Yeah. And I think that, you know, do you remember that old line? I used to hate it. Now you won't find anyone to love you until you love yourself. Well, how many people truly I love themselves? I hate that phrase. How many people truly love themselves? Nobody would have find any love because, but... There is something in that, that you have to have, that, that to have your feet fairly solidly on the ground is important when taking mm. the risk of mm. handing someone your feelings. So Can I make another... if you were to ask this man out with the absolute knowledge that he, he might think you're desperate, he might be turned off by it. He might think you're a floozy. He might be over the moon. He might be so excited. He might have wanted you. All of those things are a possibility. Mm. Your friends, your kids, your, nobody can know that. The other thing I would say is I think it's important what the environment and conditions are in which you make this approach. If it's drunkenly at a party, I mean, this dictates a lot for men. This dictates a lot for men, as it will do vice versa. I'm not saying this like no, but men, you're a man, men so don't do this. Exactly. You so have I'm the talking, right to talk yeah, yeah, yeah. about so it let from me just a talk, I do this in therapy. She's like, oh, for fuck's sake, shut up and just talk about you. <laughs> um, and it's um, and my point on that is, I think, for example, if we'd got off with each other at a sort of rat do or a party first, and, you know, the, the conditions and circumstances in which that first approach is made will massively define, as they would do vice versa, men for women, re-men, what, what they're feeling about your approaches or your interest is. If the first they've encountered your romantic interest is you dancing like a lunatic on a table, landing on their lap and licking their face, they'll, they'll go, we might go for it. We might still go for it as a bloke because we're just stupid. But also that might be hardwired into them will be this thought of, well, oh, that's a bit strange. I wonder if she does that all the time. And that's kind Just of Just like I would think of that um, about man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And that's what kind of crept into me with you, was I, I, I thought, well, she, she's a party girl. She likes just getting, getting off her tits and jumping on tables. And, you know, she'll probably fall into the laps of whoever. And so it's interesting how those... So I do think it's important, if you're really thinking about someone that you're wanting to approach and talk to, try and avoid it kind of erupting in a drunken fashion. Because I think it gets really complicated then. Mm. Really. I think you sound like you are... Going to be just fine. I really do. The fact yeah. that you've taken this couple of years since your divorce and now you feel, you know, healed enough and you want to make this move, it's empowering. But just think, just make sure that if it's a no, it's a no from him. Mm. Mm. And it, it, you can't affect that. It's just, it's just how are you going to respond to that? Try not to react. Try and just respond. Mm. 
Okay, this one came in and uh, it's anonymous and this really, I don't know, this really chimed with me. I really feel for this person. Um, let me just, I, I kind of took notes from the original, original um, letter. Uh, this person's 23 years old. They've been with their partner for five years, struggling the last year or so with their partner being really quiet and not talkative with me. He says he's mentally exhausted, you know, with work, long hours, but around friends and family, he's the life and soul of the party, which makes me think I'm the problem. It's so bad, sometimes I sit on my own crying. Mm. I've tried to talk to him, but it's the same answer, tired from work. He hasn't tried to make me feel better. We argue about silly things. We never see eye to eye. And when I tell him what upsets me, he turns things around and makes me feel as though it's my fault. He even says that I'm moody and miserable, Am I overreacting? It feels like he doesn't love me and it's killing me. This really resonated for me because I thought this kind of eats at the edges of something that me and Andrew have been talking about recently. And I think it's really something I've really, really thought about and heard and listened to. Um, and this is the idea that we can be, we can start to take the person closest to us for granted and that's actually, ironically, can be a symptom of how much you love them, but it's quite a negative symptom of how much you love them because it's a kind of taking for granted. And as I was listening to how you were portraying your partner or the painting the portrait of your partner here, this feels like someone who's taking you for granted. We've got no way of knowing unless you were to go into some kind of, you know, relationship therapy of, sort of some form to know whether he doesn't love you or not. Um, it certainly sounds like he's closed off, closed down, um, is parrying away any kind of awkward questions or desire for you to talk about things. The first thing I would ask, probably if I was sitting there as, as any kind of therapist with you, and I, this might be what they'd ask, I don't know, is what was the relationship like prior to where you're at now? You know, has he always been like this? If he hasn't always been like this, are there any events, occurrences, moments, changes, shifts in your circumstances that have led to this? Only because it might give you some kind of target to kind of go oh well maybe this was around a time i don't know a friendship buckled he's drinking more i'm drinking more this has there been any shift or change in other areas of your relationship but the thing that really resonated for me and i go back to this is that when nadia said to me quite recently she said you know it really um saddens nadia that she can see that when i'm struggling or when i'm you know in, in a sort of brown study or bear with a Headache, what's it? Bear with um, I can dig deep and I can find the energy and effort to be okay, say for the kids or for guests, or you know, when we're doing stuff on social media and what have you. And then it kind of powers down and it's not there for you. And you you know, that that feels hurtful. It feels like um, like you can do it for everyone else and you can't do it for me. She said that to me. And I'm, you're saying you've already said that. She said that to me, and, but she'd probably argue that she said it a few times before it's kind of gone in. And I've really heard it. And it doesn't mean that necessarily I've managed to succeed at changing any of that, but it's something I'm always mindful of. And it's something I'm really trying to think about because it does for me, and I'm saying this in a way to make you not worry. It really might not be that he's fallen out of love with you. So don't run to the worst case scenario because that's certainly not the case for me with Nadia. It could well be that he's... Um, Got, he's got himself confused as to how he feels he can perhaps be his most authentic self, which for him is maybe quiet and retired and silent. Sorry, we just had a 
interruption. Sorry, um, we, we're, we're trying to gather where we were because we just had a deli- food delivery. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you were just saying how um, it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't love you. It wasn't yeah, the case and, I, and I, I would go so far as to say really don't run to the worst case scenario because it could actually mean the precise opposite. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't, that's our dog drinking by the way, it doesn't mean that this doesn't need to be attended to and reprogrammed and somehow uh, he needs to be made aware of this and it needs to change because it's just, it's, you know, there are certain things in relationships, it's not fair. And, oh, and that's right. And the other thing I was going to say was there are many times where I look at scenarios and this is the nature of relationships and this is something that doesn't really get talked about too much. You know, me and Nadia work together a lot. We're actually, you know, we enjoy each other's company a lot. We're good friends too. So we're, we're quite sort of intent, an intense relationship. There are many, many times where it's quite all right and it's quite normal for anyone in a relationship. When you're with someone else, you're going to present in a sort of miserable, maybe moody, maybe something, maybe whatever. But actually, sometimes if you know, if you were on your own, no one would have to be dealing with you. No one would be even experiencing this. You would pass through whatever kind of interiority you're going to. You explain this too. You're not answerable. And I think one of the challenges in relationships is... We are all, it feels like, constantly answerable for every single deviation in our mood and emotion. You know, if you're around each other all the time and you notice a change, you know, maybe he needs time on his own, but I would suggest that maybe he needs to have that time away from you so that it's not always in your face or you're around it, or perhaps you leave him to have his time. But I do think, and of course, how do you do this? We don't know the intricacies of your relationship. But I do think there needs to be some way of making him aware that this is actually really, really upsetting and distressing for you. Because if you're going away and you're crying and you're wondering all this, all I can say at this point, I feel, is it certainly doesn't mean he doesn't love you, though it doesn't present in a very kind, loving way, if you know what I mean. It can actually mean the opposite. Yeah, yeah. And, um, well, what I would add to that is... I don't know if you um, have children, if you have teenagers, or whether you remember when you were a teenager. I mean, I remember being the life and soul, like at school and on the journey home, and then my mum would answer the door and I would literally bark and growl at her and go to my room. Why? Because she was the person that loved me and she was the person that Mm. the stresses of the day could be taken out on. Obviously, we all want to grow up and and not do that to the people that we love, but it's certainly a thing. And I agree with what Mark says, you know, wholeheartedly. It's, it can be the best thing and the worst thing that you feel so comfortable with somebody that you can be your true, authentic self. But, and, and that could be what's happening is that the whole of, the rest of life is quite stressful. And when he's with you, he just completely relaxes and he just... But that isn't okay. Mm. I mean, it could also be, we don't know, it could also be that there's things that he isn't happy with in the relationship Mm. and he's unable to communicate that with you. Either way, what the only way that this has a chance to either improve or for you to decide together that it's not the right relationship is communication. So how do you get him to communicate? You've said there... I've already told him and I got, now it sounds, I, I, thought I really did ache for you because you've got the loneliness within a relationship. And yeah, you know, I have spoke, I did, it, it has taken quite a few times to get Mark to actually see what I'm saying. Now, as I said to Mark, this doesn't mean I want you jumping about and dancing around and happy every minute because, you know, as Mark quite rightly said, 
if, if all of us just lived on our own, we would pass through our emotions and nobody would know. But, but, but there are, you know, pluses and minuses to living with a person. One of the minuses is that you have to sometimes curtail exactly how you want to be for the sake of the other person's feelings. I would suggest that you try again um, to communicate with him just how bad you're feeling. And I know I say this a lot, but I do think... It, I think it's a really good tool because I think so often in relationships we can get to the place where we just immediately jump up to defend ourselves because we've got all other other kinds mm -hmm. of shit going on inside ourselves. Somebody starts to say something, wow, you know, and then you want to get all the stuff that you're feeling. So, you know, I do often recommend this, a letter, a text, whatever, with no, you are doing this to me, you are making me this, don't do that because he won't listen beyond that something more along the lines of, do you know, I know we've spoken about this before, and maybe, and I feel that I didn't maybe say it in the right way, and, you know, I, I didn't articulate it in the right way. The thing is here, I'm really missing you. I'm missing the you that I see you can still give to other people. Now, I'm hoping that this is just because you feel so comfortable with me that you can just be the downbeat person with me all the time and that it's not that you've actually lost interest in our relationship in, and in me, but whatever it is, we need to talk about it and we need to know what it is because otherwise we can't fix or stroke deal with it. And don't make it too long, don't go on too much, don't bring other things in, just keep it to this topic. Because this topic is the base of anything else that you might be feeling anyway. And um, yeah, just try and, and then read over it, take anything out that sounds accusatory and just talk about how you're left feeling. It doesn't make you feel left feeling that, you know, maybe you don't, you're not in, as into the relationship as you were, or maybe it's just that you're really comfortable with him. Give him different options because sometimes, we, well, we all do, don't we? We paint ourselves into a corner mm. and then we don't know how to get out of it. And so you're giving him a chance to come out of that corner. I think a really important thing that Nadia does a lot when we have these kind of moments, um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was about to say something there about whether by and large men do need sort of guidance around emotional intelligence and the nuance of relationships more than women. But as I say that, I don't necessarily know if I believe that. Well, it's not going to be the case with everyone. No, not with everyone. But, I but mean, more I'm, often I'm, than more not, of, a woman well, is more emotionally intelligent. Well, I don't care if that sounds sexist. No, no. Uh, it's my, in my experience. But one of the things, bearing that sort of strange thought in mind, I mean, one of the things I would say is useful and helpful when where, so say in this instance where Nadia's drawn my attention to this on a number of occasions, I think something that softens the blow or the feeling of a criticism, I think what happens in relationships is something can be said, and as you rightly just said, Nadia, you know, everyone sort of puts on their armour as ready to go to war, to war yeah. and needs to defend themselves against everything. I mean, something else that me and Nadia have been talking about recently is, you know, the tendency of not just Better me, but both of us. Right. Well, not just that, <laughs> but the tendency of both of us to sometimes read into the simplest of kind of, not criticisms, but observations, an entire character portrait or, or, or character, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Analysis. In, annihilation. Into annihilation. It's not necessarily the case. I think one, one really important thing you can do is in the approach, whether it be by text, letter, whatever, you're not accusatory, as, as Nadia says, 
But you also say, look, I'm absolutely sure you're probably feeling something that you need to say to me and I want to hear it. Because as soon as that's said, certainly to me, I don't feel as cornered. As soon as I'm told by someone, you, Nadia, that essentially, look, I want to hear where you're at too, that can work, you know. Of course. That can work. Because there's no person in any relationship anywhere that doesn't feel unheard in something. Exactly. So if you, you know, so if you put that, it's olive branch, olive branch, olive olive branch. So like my dad says, what do you want? The fight with the gatekeeper or the grapes behind the gate? So what are the grapes? That's what you've got to ask yourself. Beyond the gatekeeper, what are the grapes that you want? What do you want? Because unless you know what you want, how can you ask for it? You want better communication. Don't ask for the moon and the stars. Just ask for something small first. Mm. And then and say to him, what would you like small from mm. me? Mm. And then that's, yeah, a two-way street. But good luck. Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. Okay, so um, it is amazing. Every week, our post bag, I've always wanted to say. Post bag, post bag. Our post bag. Every single week, there is so many, there are so many questions around body image and social media. And um, so what we're always going to do whenever we do one of these is put them towards the end. I'll tell you why. Because some people just don't want to hear anything about body image. Those people that have no problem with it at all and they're like... Does anyone have well, no problem with Well, some people will say, image? oh, I don't want to hear about... So whenever I do a body image question, I'm going to put it at the end so people have a chance to say, ta-da. I always find it really weird that people will say, I don't have... So-. I find it odd when people just dismiss things. Well, some people it? really don't. Oh, no. Loads of do people they? don't. Yeah, really? it's only because we're in it that we believe it. But, um, but if you are leaving now, please like and share the podcast or subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. Right, so, over the last two years, I've really struggled with body image. I'm a size 10 and have always been relatively slim with a few weight fluctuations here and there, but I'm finding myself being obsessive over body image and food consumption. When I was around 17, I was having a lot of personal problems whilst at school and so lost a lot of weight. I think this may have been the start of this unhealthy thinking, as I think subconsciously I'm always trying to aim for the body I had then. Interesting, isn't it? The body you had then, at a time where you were really sad, Mm. when you were having problems. Mm. So weird, isn't it? I know everything that I eat in a day and obsess over it at night. If I'm having a really busy day and forget to eat, I'm secretly really happy and pleased with myself. I'm not even trying to lose weight as the logical side of my brain is telling me that I'm slim already and I'm fine the way I am. But then I scroll through Instagram and see girls in bikinis and I know I look nothing like them. The main thing I obsess over is my flat, is my stomach as my body type, my body type means most of my weight is held there. Well, you're a size 10, you're not going to have a lot of weight. And I never have a flat stomach. I know the answer would be to get rid of Instagram, but I can't bring myself to. I just want to be able to have a normal, healthy relationship with food as I actually love cooking. I don't want this to rule my life anymore. So much in this. Mm. First of all, my first answer wouldn't be to get rid of Instagram. Because this isn't about Instagram. This is about the way that you feel about yourself. This isn't about the way you look. Mm. Because this is the way that you feel about yourself. Your stinking thinking, which is what I call, um, which is what, you know, what I call, what I do to myself, and which I can see in here in all Mm. all of your letter. Your stinking thinking is nothing to do with your weight. 
nothing to do with the way you actually look. The fact that you want to go back to a time when you were really unhappy to that body is very interesting, isn't it? Because did it make you happy? Big personal problems. In fact, Mark and I were talking yesterday on Coffee Moaning about skinny privilege and about how there really is this, this you know, this is a thing that, that people respond to you when you lose weight or you've got very mm. thin in a way that seems very positive, in a way that's very respectful, in a way that's very in awe. So maybe that was happening around the same time as you had these problems going on for you at the same time you were getting reactions from people that were giving you a little dopamine hit a little success moment mm. but actually was that real success I, I would suggest no um you know i spent so much of my life hating my stomach it's like hating this hating that hating my arms hating my Hate is just such a massive, what, this poor body, you know, that I've hated. You know, drill into that. When you hear yourself saying, I hate my stomach, think about that. Think about what a negative thing that is to do to yourself. I'm not saying that you will ever get to a place where you will never ever think or feel like that. But the first step towards this is the consciousness of the insanity of it. It is insane. It, it really is, because it doesn't serve you. I say to our girls all the time, with all manner of stuff that they talk to me about, I say, how does it serve you? How, how does it serve, in your day, when you talk to yourself like this, what do, how does that serve you? Does it make you a better friend? Does it make you more able at work? Does it, does it you know, what does it, where does it drive you? Where does it feed you? It doesn't, it's only gonna be a negative thing. So again, just having consciousness is the first step. I'm not going to say just thinking like that's going to sort all that out. No, because it is a, it's a long journey. It's a, it's a, there's no quick fix for this. This is un, an unravelling. This is about anxiety as well. You know, we talk a lot about anxiety in this house and we talk a lot about how something that you're worrying about, it can, we, it can say, I don't know, studying for exam, our daughter's doing GCSEs at the moment, the GCSEs are coming to the end and we've both said to her, well, be careful now because anxiety, whatever you're anxious about, however unpleasant it is, is a familiar feeling. As that anxiety drops, we tend to look for something else to put in its place because we don't know what to do with this new, like, empty feeling that we're filled by this particular anxiety and body image can serve us with that through our entire lives or the day we die, we can be thinking about that. And how is that serving you? What are you avoiding? Why, why, why do you go back and keep picking at that scab, keep chewing at those fingernails? What is it? Um, I mean, I can't answer that. I'm just telling you about how I work through this sort of stinking thinking. I mean, I've actually got to a point now with my stomach, which has always been a soft stomach, where I actually do, I actually do accept it. And it's such a relief <laughs> not to hate it. Still mm. every day, like, I'll be going outside in the sun today and I have my bikini and I'll have a moment, I'll go, oh, and then I just have that consciousness and I go, what are you doing there? How does that serve you? How does that serve these people around you? Because everybody that's sitting with you now or your kid that comes in and just talks to you, you're not really present for them because you're thinking, I hate my stomach. My stomach looks awful. What about my stomach? And so I consciously go, okay, distract, do something else. Um, 
I think it's such a shame because you love cooking that you're obsessing about what you eat. Um, make sure you're eating enough, that's what I would say, because being hungry really will make you obsess about food. And sometimes when you're not eating enough, you can be actually all right at your weight, but you're physically starving because you're not getting enough vitamins and minerals. And then that causes anxiety and that causes a whole load of other things. So what advice can I give? Have consciousness of what you're doing. Don't just say like, sometimes I have these conversations with my daughter and they say, no, but I just hate myself. No, 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 but I just hate that. And I say, don't say no. Say, at the moment, I'm in this place where I just keep repetitively saying these things to me, but I'm working towards moving away from it. Because we give ourselves this fait accompli of like, this is just the way I am. This is the way I'm going to be forever. You, you don't have to be like that forever. But you do have to be patient and rigorous and tough on yourself on, and the way that you're treating yourself. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would sort of add to that, obviously, this is sort of something that you talk a lot about, Nadia. Um, body image and body positivity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it, yeah, for anyone listening who's a man, it, 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 the, the same pressures are there for men. Um, I think um, it's really important. I like the connection you made between what this sort of problem, if you like, is talking about and anxiety and stress. And I think, you know, you end up, I end up always being tugged towards a lot of what's said in 12-step fellowship programs, AA, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you know, Narcotics, whatever, whatever the compulsive behaviour or addiction is, is powerlessness because stress and anxiety, if you think about what is stress and anxiety, stress is when something is being sort of, uh, is being put under such pressure that the molecules of it start to shake and then the anxiety, and that's what happens emotionally for us and, and intellectually and, and mentally and then physically is we put ourselves under, stre under stress and then the anxiety starts to come out and the only thing, one of the, one of the first things they say in one of the first steps in recovery is admitting your powerlessness or admitting that you are powerless and we are all essentially powerless, you know, to, to a certain degree and I think in taking the heat out of it, taking the the ability to stridently control everything is one step. And then what I'm about to say is going to sound strangely contradictory. On the one hand, but this is, again is the mainstay of most 12-step recovery programs. On the one hand, you need to accept powerlessness and let go. And then at the same time, you've got to embrace the fact that you've got to work at it. In a sense, you've got to work hard at letting go. And, it, and, and that is a huge part that you need to sort of take, as you say, consciousness out of, you, know, you need to stop fixating and stop fixing and because you will forever find, especially on this body, they talk about going on geographicals with alcohol, you know, you fly around the world just to escape yourself and you can't. I think, you know, body dysmorphia and body, body image, it's the same thing. I move around my body. I do a geographicals around my body where it, at one point it'll be my chin, next minute it'll be my the love handles, next minute it'll be my thighs mm. or it'll be my, you know, my, whatever. There'll be something that I can fixate on and shift and shift and shift and shift. And there has to come, now, I'm saying this and I can't do it. Nadia's always kind of, you know, you know, urging me and, and um, to sort of do meditative stuff and all this kind of stuff. And she's right, she's right, I, I'm, I'm the idiot. So, um, but I do think, I do think that we are, we have to find ways of letting go and then working hard at letting go. Yeah, it's a conscious decision. Hmm. And don't, you know, sometimes people get really angry with me when I'm talking around body acceptance. They go, well, it's just not as easy as that. And I say, 
Well, no, it's not. It's not easy. It is it's not easy. Every single day I work at it. Every single day I make the decision that I am going to be a better friend to myself. And when I start with the hate, we've already had it a number of times today. I think we've all got it at the moment as well because we're all showing mm. our bodies more. And then I just say, no, not today. Maybe tomorrow or maybe this afternoon, but not right at this moment. Because yeah. you know what? Actually, this is a really interesting thing on the radio. Or I'm just going to have this chat with my daughter. Not now, but later. Because if you try and completely suppress it, say, I'm not going to have these feelings. I'm not going to have... You will have those feelings. You know, it's just the brain works in that way. Um, but big, big hugs and love to you. And please let me know how you get on. With just This is the first step. Just have consciousness of what you're doing to yourself. That's another agony aunt and uncle. And there's somebody at the door. This is what happens when you record in your own home. Lots of love, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.